listening to the new Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson, providing key insights to the most important stories affecting the Black community. Here's your host, Nate Wilson. Welcome to the New Black Society Podcast. I'm Nathan, episode number eight. And today I've got a special, 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 special guest. And I do mean special. I like, imagine you're God and you make an extraordinary woman with extraordinary passion for humanity. She is the project manager for Newark Trauma to Trust. That's the brainchild of Equal Justice USA, an organization that works at the intersection of public health racial equity, and criminal justice. She's a writer, she's a producer, she's an entrepreneur. She finds some time as the managing editor here at New Black Society. My buddy, Tracy Thomas, how are you today? Man, you know when somebody reads your bio, you be like, who is that? You know, like, (laughs) I like, like two specials. I was like, yeah, okay, that could be me. And then you, you, you went about six specials in and I was like, oh, wait, oh, okay. I'll take I've it. always got to, like, you know, I've got to prep the audience. i got to let them know that I have a special guest, you know, because people won't get, people, oh, he was talking to his friend. No, i got a special guest. <laughs> but you know what's amazing is that when you look back, like, I'm a, I'm a history buff, so I'm always looking at, like, old, you know, history, you know, historical folks and Black folks, and a lot of folks were friends before they were famous right and so then you'll see them like later on you'll see okay why is nobody nobody's popping in my head before but like you know like folks went to howard together folks went to college together and then as they kind of blew up they they brought their their buddies along right friends could be you know you could you could interview your friends and your friend could just happen to be like michelle obama michelle obama had friends before she was michelle obama as we knew her Absolutely. And, and I read about, um, speaking of friends, I read about how uh, Chadwick Boseman, the late Chadwick Boseman now, we have to say, unfortunately, had Denzel helping him to go to Oxford mm-hmm. uh, over there in uh, England, uh, getting that, you know, that education, you know, getting that exposure. And uh, basically, it would be no Black Panther without that. Uh, so it, it, you never know who you run into. You never know who your friends are going to be. Uh, when you're doing excellent things. Um, how are you dealing with the Chadwick Boseman death? This is just something that just happened suddenly out of nowhere. Uh, I did not expect this to happen at all. At all. Were you, were you, were you like super shocked? I, I think we all were shocked. Like, and it, 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 when I say it was a literal I guess it wasn't literal. People use literal. It's not literal. It was an actual gut check, like gut punch. Like I felt like I was sucker punch when I saw the headline. Cause I'm, I'm sitting there, my husband and I watching TV, relaxing and my phone, which I shouldn't have had in my hand anyway, cause I should have been paying attention to the TV. I just get this headline, you know, the little news pop up. And it didn't make like it didn't make sense to me as I read the headline. Like I was like, wait, what? Like these words don't belong together. What is what is this saying? And I bawled. Like I could not like, and it was the most it was surprising because I was like, whoa, who knew that I felt this way about Chadwick Bozeman? But but it it was so much more than than, you know, an actor or even the Black Panther. Um 
dying, I think after I had some time to get myself together. But I, I mean, that wasn't till maybe this morning because I, I bawled. I sat silently on my couch. Then I attempted to go and watch Black Panther and open Disney Plus and then bawled again. Like mm. I just could not, um, I, it, at the end of this week when we've had, you know, a, a, a family have their superhero almost taken right. <laughs> from them right in front of them, you know, and then had some young white kid who fancies himself a superhero and his superpower being taken out black people because that is what he felt like he had the the privilege or the power to do um combined with this pandemic that is taking you know lots of our heroes and just and kind of acting almost like a super villain in a movie like it is it is the it felt like damn 2020 like you have literally taken our actual black superhero like you've taken the 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 thing that we once held in our imagination as you know the thing that it, that we seem to all be fighting for in this moment the 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 wakanda forever is is the moment that we're in as a people we are we are talking more now about black business and collectivity and you know um self-determination than we have at least that I can think of in my lifetime. And then, and then our hero is snatched. Yeah. And it, I, uh, it, it just, it took me out in a way that, you know, on a, on that level, I, I, I just grieve for, for black people. Like it, it felt like, damn, we cannot catch a break right? Like, this is what, like, why, like, anybody else, like, the Black Widow, like, if you want, you know, like, with the not the Black Panther, like, come on, like, the Black Panther. Of all the people, right? Of all the people, of all the people in this moment on August 28th, which in, you know, historically has been so significant to, like, it was just like, man, like, you know, yeah. so it, it was, it was tough. And then just on a, from a, I think from a personal level, I think, one of the things that I've learned about grief, um, my mom passed away also from cancer when I was 24. And so I've had a, I have a very unique relationship or maybe not, I, it, you know, maybe other people feel this way, but I think having to essentially come of age and, you know, um, kind of, what do you call it? become a woman right at the moment where my, you know, my mom, who is often our, you know, for most women, even if despite, even regards of the relationship, that's sort of your, your mirror or your, your guiding light for what it means to, to step into your womanhood. So mm -hmm. having lost my mom at 24, I, I had to take a lot of time to kind of study like how grief impacts you and how to overcome grief and how it, the trauma of losing someone like that um, in, in, impacts how we how we develop. Um, and I think one of the things that I've come to understand about grief is that it's 10% for the person we lost, 90% for ourselves. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because they thought, hmm? No, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, they're, they're, they're going to be all right, right? Like we 
yes, we will miss them. We will, you know, obviously their presence and not having their presence there impacts us. But, but literally what we're left with is figuring out how we navigate the world without this person's presence, but more importantly, what, what, what was incomplete with this person? You know, what, what, what relationship did they have to us? Um, and that might be like actual relationship or it could be what did, what, what did their passing represent, right? right? And I think when we look at Chad's life, first of all, this man had cancer for four years, right? Yes. We're in 2020. So that means he filmed the Black Panther with cancer. All right. And he I know what- movies. What'd you say? He filmed a bunch of movies. Right, right. I was, well, I, right, I was gonna say we, we're not even talking about his whole body of work yet, but like literally the thing that that brought him to infamous, uh, you know, infamy. The 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 he he was a superhero while having cancer, right? And having known what cancer does up close, like I'm just like how sway, like how how right? And and it's not just the filming of the movie, but the press junkets and the like, just engaging and. And since his passing, I've seen so many videos and interviews. I think even you shared one when he, you know, he was talking about he in his in his interviews, like he was making allusions to what we can only now assume was ha was managing this illness, right? Absolutely, but, I, absolutely. I, and I and I did touch on that in the article, uh, Helen Haley, and I wound up just following her randomly a couple of years ago because of her interview with uh, Chadwick Boseman and she asked, you know, what do you Chadwick and T'Challa have in common? And, and I can vividly remember his response even back then. And it kind of said, what do you have in common with T'Challa? And he said, not much, not much. You know, he's got more money than me, you know, as a joke. Uh, but then he said, you know, I think there's patience and the ability to keep secrets. Mm -hmm. And when he said the ability to keep secrets, I started thinking to myself, well, what secret is he talking about? Mm -hmm. What does he mean by that? Right. Um, and little did we know he was struggling with, with colon cancer. Man, he did, um, <clears throat> I saw another interview with, that he did at, um, at Sirius XM, and actually this one made me think of you, because um, it was right after I saw your post, and he was sharing a story about um, two young young children, and he was talking about two young kids who had cancer, and they were holding on so that they could see the premiere of Black Panther. And right. He, did you? I don't know if you saw this one, but he broke down. Like he had to. He 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 started crying. He couldn't even complete the thought. And the, the thing that I, that I noticed now and that struck me so much, it was two things. It was obviously like knowing how much sharing that probably how much he saw himself in that sharing. Like, and you know, he was again, probably mourning for himself as much as he was mourning for these two children. But he was sitting in between Lupita and uh, Danai and the way they instinctively, almost uh, Dora Milaje style just reached out to like, comfort him and i was like this is this is black people yes it was it was so and it wasn't uh i just it, i'm i'm getting choked up thinking about it because it was so it was beautiful like it was just 
a perfect moment and I was like 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 this black man and and I appreciate Chadwick because from a one of the things I loved about him is that I I never felt like he was this iconic you know superstar personality person right like when you see Chadwick Chadwick could be the Chadwick reminds me of like my homie he reminds me of you right like dope dude that's just super humble super chill you know what I mean like you know just like you could tell in school like Chad was that dude that just rolled with everybody but kind of stuck to himself but just you know was a thinker but when I think of like you know like his even his his presence was so humble even on screen even as the Black Panther like he didn't embody the role as this like you know like the way even Michael B. Jordan you know shows up as Killmonger with this like sass and you know quirky like auntie that you know just very kind of what we think of when we think of um you know black man swag that's not who Chad was right and so I think the thing that hurts even more is that I was like and this is sad but when he died the first thing I was like I was like yo this man didn't even have any scandals that we can I can you know that that come up for me in the time of his mourning right like it's like just greatness just like black excellence the article that I read was like he was survived by his wife and his children and it was just like like just you know that's it and and it was just like to see this beautiful, humble black man and these these black women just kind of reach out and gently, and it was, and the other thing about that struck me about it, it that it wasn't overly like, I want to protect you from having feelings or like yeah. we need to save you. It was just like, I'm here, bro. Like we got you. Like go on, yeah. do what you need to do, you know? And I I watched it and I was like, I wonder if they knew. Like I wonder if those around him, like if he had to share with those, you know, closest to him and like, you know, but it whatever, it didn't even matter. It was just such a beautiful moment. And not only was it a beautiful moment, it was a situation where I think he had a really great team. Yeah. Where nobody leaked this information for four right. years. Yeah. Can you believe that? Listen. Listen, you know, I, uh, a woman I sh- uh, follow, um, her name is Erica Hart, and she's uh, one of how I think most people know her is that she is a uh, breast cancer survivor, and she had a double mastectomy and kind of publicly would show this double, mas- uh, Black woman publicly show this Black, uh, her mastectomy and kind of talk about cancer and sort of the, you know, as a young person. And she shared this morning that um, when she was first diagnosed with cancer, she was working with a nonprofit and she hid it for the first almost year that she was there because she was afraid of how they would respond. Mm. And when she finally did share the response from, you know, HR, the powers that be were, well, if you cannot perform your job abilities, we will let you go. Wow. Right. <laughs> and first of all, I was just like, F whoever that organization was. Right. I really wish she would have named them so I could just kind of go, you know, release some of this pent up <laughs> frustration I have on that organization. But I was like, yo, and this man for 
four years and filmed how much like Black Panther, which was a major, you know, like, and, you know, Jackie Robinson and, and who else did he play? Thurgood Marshall. And he played yes. uh, uh, James, James Brown. Like, you know, but I tell you, I, my guess is that working with all these Black folks is how he got to keep his secret. That's very true. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. But you can't do, he did Black Panther. He did Avengers Infinity War. Yes, yeah, so Avengers Endgame. He did the Five Bloods. He did Twenty One. Twenty One Bridges. Twenty One Bridges. Yep. I mean, that's a lot of movies. That's a lot of lines to remember. That's a lot of actions to take place. It's a lot of because you know just being on set is yeah. not very difficult. It, it's not very. It's very very difficult. I remember I shot a commercial for American Express years ago. Um. It was a 30-second spot. It took eight hours. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> it was a full eight-hour day. I'm not, I mean, I'm talking about tons of work. Yep. And uh, tons of takes. And that was just for 30 seconds. For 30 seconds. So, you, so I mean, we're talking about 10-hour days. Right. For you four know. years. And, like, and you just, I think, you know, kind of what I was saying about earlier about how grief impacts us. It's like, you look at that and I think our minds either go to two places. So one, it, it kind of lights us on fire and goes like, wow, like if this man could work, do all of that riddled with cancer, what am I doing? Right? Like, mm. what, what am I doing? Like, what is my life? I'm, I'm, I'm like, Nate, can we can we postpone the, the yeah. podcast? Like I'm having a bad week, and I'm like, but I'm not having a Chadwick bad week. Like that, right. <laughs> like gotta step my game up, right? But then the thing that I'm afraid so, of, and the thing that I'm that I'm challenged by, is the flip side of that, where it's almost like, damn, yo, like this country will will actually like work you to death, you know? If yes. You yeah yeah and that's the scary part like i think you know it's a beautiful thing because I, I i think he was on purpose right i do feel like he he was like you know what if i if i only got this much time i'm gonna go out with a bang and i respect that but i really want people to pause before we jump right into the you know i i gotta do it for chad because i think there's definitely a different way to look at that I, and I wanted to get into that. That was the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Tracy. And, I, and I'm really interested in your opinion on this. Um, because I, I did allude to it in, in the article that I wrote that, you know, he, he did all of this while having a cancer diagnosis. Uh, and it reminded me, and I'm sure you saw my post on social media where I spoke about a contractor in my home. Mm -hmm. And he told me that he had liver cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, and he just kept working. I said, I said, bro, maybe you better like rest up. Yeah. Maybe you better, you know, go home and, and, and be with your wife, be with your kids, spend some time, you know, see if you can get healthy, see if you can beat this thing. Nope. Right. right. I got I gotta do what I do. And he was just determined to do job after job after job. And uh it seemed like to me he had it made up in his mind that this is how I'm gonna go out working. This is who I am, a hardworking man who did his job, and I'm going to do as many jobs as I can. Mm -hmm. He was on his way to a job, and he dropped dead. 
uh, before he could even reach the door. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me wonder how we as Black people respond to these traumas where we're get, we get terrible news. Okay, you've got cancer. Yeah. Now I got to work myself to the bone, you know, because I kind of feel like I know my time is up. I, I alluded it to uh, the Walter White syndrome, if you ever watch Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. where he gets this lung cancer diagnosis, and then he goes from ordinary man, uh, chem- you know, chemist teacher, to the biggest, you know, multi-million meth dealer right. in America, and we all worship this, like, yeah, look what happens when you really turn it on, and yeah. is this how we should respond when we get this diagnosis, is there a right way to do it? You know, no, is the answer, right? Like, no, there is no right way to do it. Um, And I'll tell you one thing, I don't even know if I definitively have the answer myself because, so my mom, again, you know, stage four cancer, when she finally found out, and, you know, we could have a whole other conversation wow. about Black folks in the in, in the medical industry and how she literally went for, you know, various testing for over a year and they kept misdiagnosing her and then finally caught it by accident by when they thought she had something else. So that's, you know, that's a whole nother podcast on just like Black folks in the medical system. But, but she was, they gave her six months, right? And I literally went to visit her for the weekend after her initial surgery because again she was supposed to have a small uh surgery for something else and when they opened her up is when they found out that she had this cancer like they thought she just had some cysts that need to be removed right so in the same weekend um when i was just kind of going to go say hey you know check in on her i hear that i find out that she gets has this terminal diagnosis and i at that time, I was living in Philly. My mother was in Jersey. I I never went back. I, I didn't go back to Philly for another, I think it was maybe six months after that. Wow. Weekend, right. So I just, with my weekend bag and was like, all right, job, I'm out, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and I just came to be by my mom's side. Mm. And I think that experience for me set the tone for how I see life because it taught me a couple of things. Like it taught me that literally when it comes to life and death, the only thing that matters is like how much life you actually get to experience with the people you love. Right. Mm. Um, So in that moment, like when I made the decision, I wasn't worried about, and maybe this was also just me being, you know, a 23 year old, a 24 year old, you know, like I wasn't, I was, I didn't care about no bills. I didn't care about accolades. I didn't care about, like, I was like, I'm, I'm out. Like my mom's dying, like forget everything. Right. And then it also taught me that like, I will be taken care of. Like when I tell you that I don't like money was showing up during that period of my life. Like my job decided to keep paying me. I was on payroll for months. Like, and like, and they like, after I told them, like, listen, this is what's happening. Like, I'm going, like, my job kept me on payroll. Um, Other people were like, here, like, here you go. My aunt had a a school and she was like, can you just drop in and work with the kids and I'll give you, like, it was like, when I tell you I've had, I I was, I could not, I didn't have a, I didn't have to worry about anything, right? 
And I think that, you know, oftentimes, like, you know, capitalism has trained us to be, to, to think of survival and to think of like money, like as the only source. But when I say that my spiritual, uh, like just, I don't know, my spiritual resolve was so strengthened in that moment because you know, it's something that my pastor says now. He says, like, uh, money is a resource. It is not the source. Right? Very true. Listen, listen. And I didn't get that until this moment where I was like, I'm going to focus on what matters. And and I think that's the thing that we, that's what we have to do, right? Yeah. And, I, and I'm, my guess is going to be for Chad, it wasn't money. I'm, I'm, I agree with that. You know, I don't, I, and, and it, I don't know this man, so I could be making this up. His wife may have a whole different uh, interpretation of the story and have a whole lot of things to say, but something about even just the choices he made in his role seemed very intentional, right? Yeah. And I think that's very different from even like, I think when you look at um, what's Breaking Bad, what's his name, Walter? Uh, yeah. That it's like, oh, so you're, your life is coming to an end and you turn into a, a multi-million dollar drug dealer? Like, well, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, um, you could turn it on or you could just be like, you know what? What matters to me most is my my family. You know, what matters to me most is is my legacy. And I think- you know, even in this moment, we were joking earlier about, you know, my bio and what I put in my bio. And, and I think the thing that, that I struggle with so much when it comes to, you know, how we think about people and how we celebrate people, especially in America, is that we don't always care about who they were as a person. And we only care when there's big, flashy, you know, fancy things and, and when people's names are in headlights. But, you know, it, it it's a hard space to be, man. Like, cause it, 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 it takes the focus off people being like good human beings. I agree. Yeah. Chadwick Bozeman, you know, I say he was a real actor. Mm. You have actors and then you have celebrities. Right. Chadwick mm. was an actor. He was definitely an actor. Other yeah. people are celebrities. Yeah, definitely. Acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or pretending to act. Right, exactly. You know? Attempting. <laughs> and, and it's very rare that you get to see somebody, at least on a public space. I always am attracted to people who are truly passionate about what they do. Yeah. You know, they feel like this is what I'm on earth to. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it because I just enjoy doing this. Right. And you didn't see Chadwick dress up in, in different, you know, in, women's clothes sorry like <laughs> you didn't see him act the fool he didn't take any roles he didn't take any slave roles right he he always played very strong prominent individuals mm -hmm. jack robinson thurgood marshall um james brown james brown Probably his he, was he was gonna play gucci man which i would have loved what? yes <laughs> Uh, okay, I guess that's I, a challenge. That's but, uh, right? I'm like, uh, how does he? Okay, he, you know, might have wanted to switch it up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like he always was going after passion projects. Yeah, things that he felt was going to be 
uh, a challenge for him mm-hmm. uh, instead of things that, well, what can I do to get the most money? I'm sure he got offers. In fact, there was, I remember watching the Kevin Hart documentary and Kevin Hart was really, really trying to get Chadwick to jump on Uptown Saturday Night Remake. Mm. And I could see the look on Chadwick's face. Like, I really don't want to, like the camera is on me and I don't want to play him. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not interested in doing something like this. Right. And, and he had this look of concern, like, this is not something that challenges me. Mm-hmm. This, this seems more like a money grab. Right. Than it was like, I, I just really got that vibe about Chadwick. And it's, it's really difficult. That's why it was so difficult for me to see. Yeah. Because I hate to see, not that I won't enjoy seeing anybody go, but it's really difficult for me to see someone die, in my mind, prematurely. Yeah when they were living in their purpose. Right. That is really difficult to take, and especially because he's an African-American, especially, especially because he's an African-American man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that, that's really difficult. And he was an African-American man of integrity and character. Right. And, you know, we don't have too many of those laying around. Listen. <laughs> so <sighs> to see that happen was, it's just like, that's a really difficult blow um, and it's going to take a while for me to, you know, to get over that from a, uh, a public figure space. Is this the most difficult celebrity public figure death that you think the Black community has taken? Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's different for us. I think it's, I don't know if I could say it's the most difficult because again, remember this, like Chad hit the scene, you know, we, we only had him for roughly about the whole time he was diagnosed. Right. Like, I mean, he's been around before that, but in terms of like, you know, um, I think becoming like a household name, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think even compared to, uh, um, like a Michael Jackson or like, a you know, some, some other folks that we've had, or Whitney Houston, or folks that, that people have literally grown up with, you know, and there's a different connection there. Yeah. Um, but I think with Chad, I, I literally, I think it was, I think this specific moment that he died in, you know, and what he had given us specifically with the way that Black Panther galvanized the Black community, I think it, it was, it's almost bigger than him. You know, like his death is so symbolic in this moment. Um, and I'm trying to find the good symbolism, but it, it feels like the like the sharpest blow because again, for all the reasons we stated, like, you know, everyone else I've, I've mentioned, Michael Jackson, Prince, Whitney, you know, there was a certain, um, I think there was definitely a love of their craft and a love of what they did, but, and, but there, and there were lots of questions about who they were, you know, and so it was, sort of mourning the gifts that they gave us. And with Chad, I think that it was it was the experience. It was it was the ability for this role to to do something that black people have been desiring to do since we arrived on the shores of the country, right? Yeah. Even if it was for a moment like literally February, I remember I was living out of the country and I flew home for the weekend so that I could see Black Panther on the premiere weekend. 
we, you know, every black person I saw while I was here got the Wakanda Forever salute, right? Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yes. black folks showing up in theaters in straight garb, like, just gay lays and, and just, it was just like, wait, what? Like, for a, for a blockbuster action move, like, you know, billion dollar budget real life superhero right like we had the black exploitation films in the 70s you know so you know maybe shaft in the 70s may have gotten us you know but but this was like a this was a hero for everybody you know and it was a story that 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 everybody could could love and like that specifically a very specific taken out of the context of you know black man survives and beats a couple of white men down and you know um is that kind of hero and took it to this next level where now that that really had black folks dreaming about wow what would it look like to have a a, a black society that had its own uh army and that protected itself and that had wealth and that was smart and snazzy and stylish and but still very african like i think that vision planted on the the minds of black folks I, I i i really think that it it shifted something for us i know a lot of people will argue that like representation doesn't mean that much oh it does oh but it does like i, I, oh, 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 it I does. right i'm like i would disagree totally like you cannot be something that you cannot see and yeah. i think for the world to see black people repping africa and like obviously not like because Wakanda obviously does not exist, but yeah. uh, but 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 being proud of like a a place that we imagine, like this is what the imagination of Black people look like. It looks like, right? Like it looks like this is if you left us alone, this is where we imagined that we would be. You this know, is, this is precisely correct. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I will just tell you straight up, and for the audience as well, I mean, newblacksociety.com mm. would not exist right. uh, without Black Panther. Hello. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> anybody that's friends with me on Facebook or follows my, or has, follows me, the, the Black Man's Black Man page, like my background wallpaper is literally Wakanda. It, I mean, if you really check and see it, it's right. Like, you, know, it's right. Now, you know, I got to go look right now. <laughs> go, go, go look. You'll see. It's, it's, I actually took a, a photo of a city of Wakanda. I actually went to uh, the website and, and snatched a photo off their official website of what Wakanda would look like. Wow. Uh, a rendering and imaging. And I have it in the background on the wallpaper of, of, uh, of my page. I mean, it means everything to me. Uh, I remember the night the you know the Black Panther premiere came out. I mean, I got my tickets months in advance. Mm-hmm. Months in advance. I even went out and 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 rented. Uh, what did I get? A Black Impala. Just to be. Just did to be you? I did. It's the only movie I did cosplay in, where I literally dressed up. I did a million Wakanda poses. Uh, to this day, other than The Lion King when I was five years old, the only movie I cried real tears in, mm. um, I thought the scene where he was talking to his father in the oh. ancestral plane in actual Sosa. Oh, God, I mean, I was in tears. Right. That moment for me, two Black men, a, a father and a son talking in their ancestral language uh, in a space 
it just felt so pure, Tracy. Mm-hmm. It just felt so untethered by white society. Right. It's like that space where no matter what you do, uh, white people just can't touch it. That's it. That's what got me. That's what made me so emotional. That particular scene, like, that's a space for us. Yep. And, you know, when I talk about new black society, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is like, because when we talk about, you know, living here in America, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Our belief system is deeply affected by what we experience and what we see. Yeah. And the more we see it, it becomes a pattern. And that pattern becomes our belief. And what we believe determines what we make true. So when we watch Black Panther over and over and over and over again, we begin to believe, Mm -hmm. well, maybe we can make that society. Right. Maybe we can make something like that. Do you believe within the next 10 to 15 years, we can engineer something new, a new Black society? You might have to ask. You might have to, listen, I think, you know, the eternal optimist in me wants to say yes, right? Because, you know, because without hope and without, without hope, like, what do we have? We, we have nothing. Right. And I think that is the, the most devastating part about losing our Black Panther in this moment is that, like, as someone who represented, who embodied that hope, I don't, this, this country just. Uh. Can I, can I just interject and say. Yes, something? please. Cause I. Mm. Listen, <laughs> I want to give a little bit of context here yes. because mm-hmm. um, I didn't hear about Chadwick Boseman passing until this morning. Oh, wow. Uh, I was, I was, you know, here the, the setup is like this. First of all, I'm having work done on my house. Mm-hmm. The whole basement is being worked on. So the, everything that's in the basement is in the kitchen and the living room. And it's just too much for a little baby to right. run around and navigate because something might fall on my little baby's head. And so my wife and my two daughters are up in there, you know, in Jersey. Mm -hmm. Uh, at their grandparents house whatever and I'm here at the house by myself right so you know for me I'm just by myself I don't care I'll just fall asleep anywhere you know so (laughs) I'm on the couch and I'm watching Netflix last night I I only watch Netflix like maybe maybe once a month and I decided "Let let me watch some Netflix and I watched some Netflix and whatever show I was watching sucked so I was like I'm gonna go to sleep and I didn't charge my phone. Mm. So this is rare. Right. This is, this is how tired I was. I didn't even plug my phone in. I was like, forget it. I'm comfortable. I'm going to sleep. I wake up. It's six in the morning. Now, that's not the time I usually wake up. I wake up around 4.35. Oh, wow. But, well, we, that's, a, that's a whole other podcast. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. But it's Saturday, whatever. It's six o'clock. You know, first thing I do, I brush my teeth out. I plug my phone in. I say, you know what? Let me get my meditation on. Let me get my, my, do my morning routines because this is what I feel like I need to do to keep myself centered. Mm-hmm. And so I did that first. I'm very thankful that I did. Because um, I, don't, I don't check my phone. 
um, when I do my meditations, I have my whole routine. That's a great practice. It's a very good practice, and I recommend every black person. Every black person. Everyone. That's a whole... See, I need to go through my whole... That's a whole thing. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. Let me keep going. So I go back to my phone. It's 7 a.m. now. Um, my wife hits me up on Facebook Messenger. That's how we communicate most often. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, Chadwick Boseman died. The first thought in my mind, I'm like, of course he would. Of course. Wow. Well, of course. Like, it was almost too good to be true. Wow. Really? Is that, was that your thought? That was your that first was my thought. I, I didn't cry. I, I was angry. Mm. I, was just, I, I, was, I was just angry. Because I was just like, of course, this would happen. Mm. And, you know, when we talk about, see, for me, I don't want to get too conspiracy theorist. I try to manage my conspiracy theories. Listen, I, listen, I, try to. I, have, I have become a, a card-carrying member of the conspiracy. Okay, <laughs> you know what? Then this is a safe space. It is a safe space. Look, we, look, at this point, I'm like, look, we could try them on. We could debunk them if we, if we can, but, but at this point, I don't put anything past anybody. So I'm always willing to listen. <laughs> I, that's, that's my, that's my, that's why I tell my wife. I'm always willing to listen. That's it. That's it. Cause it's, cause nothing like the truth is often stranger than fiction, especially in this here United States of America. So <laughs> hit me with it. What is it? What I want well, so, so my conspiracy, I started thinking the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, of course, this would happen. Of course. Like, I almost anticipated it, mm. uh, which was sad. Uh, the second thought is, I got to write about this. Mm. I absolutely have to write about this because, you know, Chad's my guy. I actually had the opportunity to meet Chad when he was doing 21 Bridges, in, which was filmed in Philadelphia. Yeah, I did not know that. Very, very nice guy. Very, very nice guy. Soft-spoken. He's, he's true to form. The way he is on camera is the way he is off camera. Right. I, I will absolutely tell you that. Um, and I had no idea. Mm. That's it. I had no idea. Because that he shot that uh, end of 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. Right around that time. So, yeah. I will tell you that I started writing... And I started thinking, and I started looking. What movies was he doing before he got the diagnosis? Mm-hmm. You know, what was he working on before? And what was he thinking? What was he saying? Did he say something that somebody didn't like? Because it seems to me that very powerful, very outspoken, very classy black men of integrity that's in the public eye, hmm. they seem to die. They seem to die. And I start thinking, you know, and obviously the, you know, the, the easy go-to is cancer because you can't argue cancer. Right. You can't, you know, you can't say anything else. But I immediately started looking up conspiracies because that's just, I'm always looking for the story behind the story. Right. I'm always looking for the story behind the story. And so for me, my question becomes, how does a man that is as healthy as he was, because he exercised, he was never out of shape to me. How is a man who is in good shape, eats healthy, because he mentioned he, he had a vegan diet. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't like fast food. Mm-hmm. Um, how does a guy like that get stage 
three colon cancer. That's a really difficult thing to accept. Mm-hmm. It doesn't add up. And so I start thinking to myself, you know, we have to start being more intentional about what our game plan is and what we are looking to do in this country. Yeah. Because I know that there is an agenda. Mm. It doesn't, listen, there's a whole bunch of foul people out there and they ain't dead. They're living just fine. <laughs> I think it's I think it's worth asking yourself: Is was it really cancer? Are we sure, or is this what they're saying? Wow. Huh. Listen, I. You know the thing about conspiracy theories for theories for me is that sometimes they are too scary to even. Um, acknowledge right because then because then when when you if you pull the wool back it's like okay now what you know so um so if we go down that rabbit hole it kind of feeds back to the the question you asked me right before about like you know what do i like black people in this country and like what is the what is the hope for them like can we actually create this and i'm like uh do you see what's happening when we try (laughs) you know so it's almost like you know uh the desire to be willfully ignorant in order to keep hope alive (laughs) because if i were to have to believe that if i do good in this world and if i attempt to be good specifically to black people um that somebody will ultimately take me out like for me that that I think for most humans the law of self-preservation would keep us from actually doing the things that we were sent here to do I agree I do yeah I do oh man so all right we talked about we've talked about conspiracies let's move on um (laughs) we're dealing with trauma and you happen to run the Newark Trauma to Trust. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. What do you do? And uh, how do we get from trauma to trust? <laughs> it's a great question. It is. Um, so the Trauma to Trust program is a program designed to sort of heal or at least reduce the harm in of historical trauma between uh, police officers and community members. And so it is, as it's designed now, it's a 16-hour training where cops and community members are put together in a room and we together uh, look at the history of this country of systemic racism, the history of policing and how it specifically targets Um, African-American people and look at ways in which cops can deal with what their badge represents and offer tools to citizens for how they can start to put the pieces back together if they, not if, but after they have been traumatized by police officers. Um, So I know right now, you know, um, the the country or since George Floyd was murdered, there has been a lot of um, conversation in the country about 
you know, defunding police and police reform and, and all those things. And this, the, the program that I run has actually existed since 2015. Um, and it, it was based in Newark because Newark has had a per, uh, particularly contentious relationship with um, citizens and cops. And uh, we have been able to make some significant headway um, as a result of the program, the, the off, uh, reports of uh, violent interactions with officers are down 50%. Um, the increase of community programs that people have been deferred to um, instead of having to deal with the cops have increased, have been um, have had their funding increased and have, have had more infrastructure built around them so that these programs can actually be sustained um, so that they are, they, they're, they exist as a resource for people so that they don't end up in the um, criminal, you know, the, that, that pipeline. And um, most recently, Mayor Baraka, who is, you know, uh, doing his best to hold us down with all of the you know shenanigans that that politicians have to deal with yeah. um, but he recently diverted uh, a bunch of funding from the newark police department to um, an office of violence prevention which is designed primarily to offer community members the resources that they need so that they don't end up um you know engaging in so in, in violent interactions so he was actually able to defund the police, Ross Baraka. Uh, yeah. So, you know, yep. Because by not, not dismantling, not just, you know, but yeah, defunding. So removing some of the, the, the budget um, from the Newark PD and, and diverting it to social programming. Um, and, you know, and, and most people's question when they talk about, you know, well, what happens when there are no police? Um, well, first of all, that, the, the question that, that has been famously answered now is like, actually, what happens when there are police, right? Because if you look at the statistics on, you know, crime uh, being solved or crime being reduced or uh, any of those things, most of them are not that uh, the stats are not that great in favor of policing, right? In, in favor of what police actually do to make people feel more safe. Um, and so the funds that have been diverted are actually diverted to um, community programs like, um, you know, supporting people with employment, supporting people with um, having their basic needs met, food, clothing, shelter, uh, mental health services, uh, domestic violence uh, coordinators, or you know, domestic domestic violence abuse coordinators. Um, so, so much of what ends up in the you know police docket are actually things that needs that need uh, social attention, right? That need social services. But because so much of that funding has been cut. Um, you know, now when you have these issues, the, the go-to has been to send officers. Right. Um, and so the goal here is to sort of, um, first of all, have to have these entities in communication, right? So uh, for example, if there is a domestic violence uh, dispute, instead of just arresting the, um, the abuser or the, the perpetrator or the, I'm sorry, that's, we, we don't use that language. Um, so instead of just arresting the person who has caused the harm, um, by having that person, obviously you wanna separate the, the person to, to reduce the possibility of the harm being repeated, but then also, okay, what happens next? What services are you providing to both uh, the person who has been harmed so that they don't have to end up just returning back to the, 
the person that's harmed them um, for, you know, food, shelter, clothing. But then also, what are you going to do with the person who has caused the harm so that they can address the root of their issues so they're not just out here waiting to, to pop off on their partner again in the next few months, right? But the police don't have the the bandwidth to handle that. So all they can do is arrest and lock that person up, which does not actually um, have the outcome that we desire. And so what our program does is kind of teaches these uh, community organizations to work in partnership, to be in communication when there is a domestic uh, a domestic dispute, the police officers, if they do intervene at the same time on the scene is uh, someone who is trained to work with those kind of situations to de-escalate, to offer resources to the, the, to the partner that's been harmed, right? Um, and so this way we have sort of a full circle uh, 360 degrees of care for community members, so people are not just out here um, getting locked up for for crimes that are mostly a result of trauma, right? Um, because right. you know, yeah. So I, I want to when you talk about this stuff, I think about the wire for whatever reason, and and a quote came to me by one of the police officers who was a character in the wire. His name is Bunny Colvin, and he was like in the police department for like 30 years mm -hmm. and he says you know i've been i've been on this beat for 30 years and of all the work that i've done all the arrests that i've made i have to say that today it's worse than what it was 30 years ago mm. do you feel that policing and community organization all the work that you've done all the people that you've helped, do you feel like things have gotten better in Newark specifically? And then in urban America, do you think that our community has improved from the community outreach from programs like yours? <clears throat> For purposes of funding, I'm supposed to, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I joke, but, 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 you know, the reality of it is, I mean, it, it's, it's layered, right? Because unfortunately, so my, our, our program has, has existed for four years, right? And the battle for funding is one that every nonprofit um, has to deal with, but it also is the, I think it is the thing that perpetuates this, these cycles, right? Because you can have a program that shows excellent results, right? That shows like, yes, we are in fact moving the needle, but if the, the funders decide like, oh, you know what? That's not in vogue this year. Oh, you know what? Like, um, we're gonna, we're gonna put our, our funds somewhere else, right? Then you don't have the, the resources to, um, to continue these programs, right? And I think the, that's the very thing that's happened over the years with even the social services programs, right? Like there's been so many people who have come in the, in the hood and, you know, tried this program and tried that program and funded this cool uh, creative project. And it's, I think the challenge of longevity, mm -hmm. of studying something long enough to see what it actually uh how it impacts us does not get to happen in urban neighborhoods like we're always experimenting on black people right and none of these experiments oh, last yes. long enough to actually show definitive um progress and i i you know back to our conspiracy there i i'm pretty sure that's by design right that's not an accident 
It's not an accident. There, there's a very, yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, I think people with money like to pat themselves on the back by feeling they're doing something by throwing money in foundations and, you know, throwing money in, um, you know, being philanthropists and, you know, funding things for a certain amount of time. I think they feel good, but really if we're talking about like, what is going to have a lasting impact on the the community? Like, let's talk about redistributing wealth, right? Let's talk about in New Jersey, where the property tax, first of all, I'm not going to talk about how ignorant my property taxes are in the hood where I live, right? And clearly, it is a, they they are not, um, I don't know if we want to talk about mismanagement, or we want to talk about years of mismanagement that are now trying to be, uh, um, you know, accounted for. But the fact that our schools are funded by our property taxes. And if you see like the, the major, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. Like the, the, the variation in what one community will pay in property taxes in Newark from another. And it, and it it exactly correlates with the school district and the quality of the school. Like it is, it's, the fact that we are not doing that type of thing shows me that, okay, we are not interested actually in lasting change. Like we are interested in shows. We are interested in taking cute pictures. We're interested in photo ops, but we are not as a people interested in actually moving this needle. Well, um, this is a byproduct of, of the capitalist system that we live in. Right. And, and I've alluded to this before. Uh, it, my whole theory is that, you know, in the, in the, in a space of capitalism, you know, this is a broad stroke, of course. There's more complexity to it. But, you know, in a capitalist society, it's all about business. And business is all about having revenues, which don't make sense unless you have profits. Right. So in order to get a profit, you've got to have a retail and you've got to have a wholesale. Yeah. You must have that. And so if I'm getting something for 10 bucks, I've got to be able to sell it for 20 I've got to be able to get that $10. So the basis is whatever is wholesale, the conditions must be kept so that the wholesale remains wholesale. And it's just that simple for me. Like if you look at gentrification, it's really keeping a community and their properties at a wholesale rate Mm. so that we can buy it at a low cost and then we can sell it at a high cost to people who want to buy it using bank loans. Because it's not like people are paying out of pocket like that. You know, they're just using the banks as a middleman, so to speak, to fund profits. And the wholesale must remain the wholesale. Who's going to take your order at McDonald's if everybody's empowered and given this high quality education? Who's going to mop your floors? Who's going to be the who's going to be the people we can make a profit on if we take away these conditions? So, I think we are locked in a debt-based society. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a debt-based society. Our whole economy is debt-based. Um, you know, from the Federal Reserve working with the uh, United States Department of uh, Treasury, excuse mm-hmm. me, Treasury Department. Uh, it's all IOUs and we're just borrowing from the future. So for the black community, what I would say is obviously be very knowledgeable about money. 
what you just mentioned with property taxes funding schools, we all need to know that. Mm-hmm. And we need to know how that works. Yep. Because it's a trick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a little trick. It's a trick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, there's so many things you said that I want to respond to. So one, you're absolutely right, right? It's a trick. And I think what is scary to me about this moment, you know, and you, you, again, going back to your question about, do I think, you know, what do I, in terms of the black community, like, you know, is it possible that we can create, uh, you know, that we can do something in this, in the next 10 years. And I think the, the, the most frightening thing that I keep seeing is that people, this push for black power is almost solely being, um, uh, defined in terms of financial capital. Right. And everybody wants to buy the black and everybody wants to black Wall Street. And I'm like, I don't understand what I, what the, the thing that I keep missing is I'm like, fam, you, you know, they bomb black Wall Street, right? Like, <laughs> like not like how, how do we, this, we have done this before right? Like, this is not a new, like, everybody buying the Black is not a new concept for Black people. But if we don't get up under the other ways in which white supremacy capitalist society will undermine your attempts at winning their game, because the reality of it is, this is a game that was designed by them, right? And I think we are foolish and extremely naive to believe that they will just let us win the game. Because what they will do, like they have always done, is change the game. Yeah. In the middle, right in the middle, right as you're, right as you start winning the the hand, it, the the rules change, right? And so, until we start opting out of this game, and that can look like a number of things that we can talk about we're setting ourselves up for failure because we literally, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I don't do horror movies, but from what I hear about the Saw movies, it's like, it's like Jigsaw. It's like Jig, this game was set up by Jigsaw. You cannot win, right? <laughs> you can try and you might, you know, you might get somewhere, but in the end, you know, a nail's going to come swinging out and knock you in the middle of your forehead, right? Or somebody's forehead, right? So like, I, I don't, to me, like, I don't even want to, play the game because i think then just by playing like they win right because now it's just it's more hands in their pot of creating these dynamics and creating this these setups where you know we gotta keep a certain group down so now it's oh the black now it's the the black um you know ivy league graduates are you know we're better than the black hood folks so it's okay if the black hood folks work at mcdonald's as long as the black ivy league folks have you know we could get brunch and mimosas in our, you know, fancy little spots, right? I like brunch and mimosas. I mean, I love, listen, <laughs> I love, you know, I prefer Bellinis, but, okay. you know, listen, French toast is my, is bae, right, all day. <laughs> but I think coming from, okay, so so for context, like, I, uh, you know, my family's from the Caribbean, right? And, you know, we, uh, from Dominica. Mm-hmm. Um, so small island, which, I, thank you for asking, because it's an important context to make, because, we are 70,000 people versus a Jamaica that I think Jamaica has, I want to say 1 million, 4 million or something like that. 
So the difference in our economy size, the difference in our GDP um, makes for a very uh, different, very different experience for um, immigrants, both, you know, in on island and away from the island, right? But something that I remember very distinctly as a kid growing up, my, my parents immigrated here a li- like uh, before I was born. So I was born here, but we I grew up in a very sort of cultural, like a very Dominican community in America. Okay. So all of my aunts and uncles, you know, both on both sides of the family lived within like a 10 mile radius of each other. Oh. You know, we all went to the same church. We, you know, and then, you know, so we just kind of, the community just kind of built itself around itself. Mm. And as I got older, I realized, I was like, you know, I never, I don't think that I ever heard my parents or their friends talk about work outside of work. Yeah, when they got together and they got together often, I would see, and often I would see them in their work clothes, right? So the the hustle up here is um, I had a, a, there was a very powerful Dominican that worked at uh, New Jersey Transit. And he would essentially like hire everybody. Like, so so half of Dominica worked at New Jersey Transit because he would, you know, hook them up and get them in. And so I would see people like in their like janitor uniforms and what, and these were, and what I love though, is that they would get together and these, my dad and his friends, they would be talking, they would be quoting Shakespeare. They would be joking about, you know, sports. They would be talking about like, you know, math theories and science theories and having these, you know, uh, brilliant debates. And I think what that showed me is, is one, not to define people based on what they do, right? Because I understood very early on that intelligence was not a met, you know, your, the, the work that you did was not, did not define your level of intelligence. And people from Dominica take intelligence very seriously it's very important like to be dumb is is probably like one of the worst things that you can do (laughs) the most insulting things you can do you know culturally for us and I think that just that is part of who I am like that that experience of knowing people not defined by their roles at work right and knowing that even people who I knew for a fact went to work and clean toilets would come home and just be these full-bodied, you know, uh, vivacious, you know, charismatic people because they left their work at their work one, and because they knew that what they were doing was noble because it was putting food on their table, oh. right? and that's what mattered. And so, you know, it it frightens me now when we're chasing this, you know, chasing capital as the means of like defining ourselves or defining our community. And I'm like, nah, like we, there's another way. And I don't know that I have the 100% blueprint for what that way is, but there's a woman I follow on Instagram. Her name is, uh, or her, the Instagram page is called the Nat Ministry. And literally every day, she just reminds Black people that rest is an act of rebellion. And that in a capitalist society, to take a nap and to not be on your hustle and grind is actually probably one of the most revolutionary things that you can do. Hmm. And I think it's genius. And I think it's so accurate.
accurate. And I think it's why the NBA strike is so apropos because it's like to divest from capitalism and to say, I am not working is one of the most powerful things you could do because they can't do anything without us. They can't. They can't. They can't. Mm. Now, now see that, this is why I was begging you to be on the podcast. (laughs) Nuggets of wisdom like that. That is why I surround myself with extremely intelligent black women. And listen, this is so, that was like the nugget of nuggets. That's probably like one of the best nuggets I've heard on the podcast so far. I, you know, growing up as an African-American mm-hmm. um, from Philly, still live in Philly. I'm not going to give comments about that, but I just can say <laughs> that growing up, it's all you know is capitalism. Yeah. You know, and it also, I also know thyself. I know myself very well. You know, I know I'm a Capricorn. Capricorns are big on money. Mm-hmm. And I'm true to form with that. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I like it. But mm-hmm. I, I, and I think you made some very interesting points about the game. Because um, one of my biggest quotes is, you know, you got people who play the game. You got people who watch the game. Then there's people who don't know that there's the game being played. You can't change the game until you win the game except for the fact that they keep changing this game. Good. Right. And it, it, it started, that's what started my exit strategy. Like, okay, maybe this game is rigged. Yeah. Maybe this game is rigged. And if it is, well, what do I do next? Hmm. And I think you said it best, stop playing. Yeah. Stop playing. And that stop means- playing retraining your mind to be grateful for things that don't involve money. <laughs> you know, like when I have my morning routine mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's appropriate for me to you know, talk about it. When I wake up, uh, I like to be up at five. Sometimes I'll do 430. Uh, and I will go downstairs and I will go, uh, first I'll look at my garden because I have one. And I will look at my tomatoes. You got a garden. I got a garden. Yes, I love it. I got burpee tomatoes. Yes. I have uh, jalapeno peppers, bell peppers. I got eggplants. Yes, I got all types of herbs. I even got African um, leaves, like cassava leaf. What? Lokia leaves. Yes. Yeah, I just... And I, I'll show you the photos. I, I have, uh, I took the, Malo- I popped the Malokia leaves last night. I, I, I uh, harvested them and I blended them and I made a, a stew. All right and, now. Yes. Yes. Shout out to my African wife, Sheena. Yes. For, for showing me the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> showing me the way. Uh, it's all her. But no, I, I would definitely say, you know, I, I spend my time in nature first mm-hmm. because nature renews you mm-hmm. shout out to uh ralph waldo emerson hey you know uh, and, all, and all the africans before him who knew and that all the africans who really probably took them. down villages and, right. and put and paved them and put up skyscrapers mm-hmm. absolutely exactly no it's true mm-hmm. and i think the first 10 minutes of my day mm. is gratefulness yes the first things out of my mouth is thank you. Thank you. 
and for things that have nothing to do with money. I always challenge myself, and this is part of the 48-hour challenge today, plug, plug, 48-hour challenge, which is on New Black Society. It's absolutely free. I do not charge anybody for it. Um, it's important to be grateful, and it's extremely important to be grateful for things that don't cost money. So I don't say thank you for my smartphone mm -hmm. or thank you for my MacBook Air. Right. You know, right. I say thank you that I have a healthy body. Yes. Thank you that I can breathe. Yep. Thank you for the ability to hear the birds chirping. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, you know, the ability to hug my daughters. Mm. Things like that. And I think when you start your day like that, Tracy, your whole mood, your yeah. whole mindset begins to shift on what's important. Yep. And suddenly you realize maybe it's not so important for me to, you know, build some business just to make some money. Maybe it's important for me to do what I love. Yeah. And give to people. And maybe I'll just trust that the universe will give me what I need and the lifestyle that I would like to have in return. And, and I think that when you were discussing how, when you were caring for your mom, you were living in your purpose, even though it was a very difficult, traumatic time, you were in your purpose, caring, loving, uh, giving of yourself, yep. because that's really what you do. Yeah. At least from the outside looking in, that's what you do. You mm -hmm. are a caretaker of humanity. Ooh. And, and I, and I appreciate people like you because when you say those type of things you put things into perspective because people don't remember your revenues people don't remember how much money you made or even what you did with your money people remember how you made them feel how you made them feel that's really what it comes down to so tracy it's like 6 30 right now listen we've been talking for a minute i like to end the podcast with a quick hitter Mm. Quick hitter is a game. This is how right. we play. All right. Are you not gonna change the rules of the game on me halfway nope. through? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not the white man here. You know, <laughs> the game is as follows. I'm going to mention something. You give me the first thought that comes to your head. Mm. That first thought should be just a couple words. Okay. One word at best. It's a nice way of saying keep it short. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Newark, New Jersey. Home. University of Pennsylvania. Ooh. HBCU. <laughs> <laughs> Look, shout out to the boys. Those who know, know. <laughs> oh, yes. My man. The Caribbean. Mm. Hmm. The Connect. Four C hair. Um, what's that word? Um, eugenics. Is it eugenics? The one where they used to try to give us all kind of labels for. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
you. All right, I'll take it. Come come back to me on that one. <laughs> okay. Chadwick Bozeman. Um damn. Yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump. Oh hell no. <laughs> Just no. Just no. That's all I got. No. Police departments. I guess. <laughs> the Black Lives Matter movement. Necessary. The diaspora. Winning team. Black capitalism. It ain't it. No. Ooh. 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 I gotta continue my game. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Black Panther. Wakanda forever. Twenty twenty. Ah! <laughs> All right, and that's it. <laughs> that's it. I don't even have a word for that. That's it. That's 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 twenty twenty in a nutshell. Ah, like really, we're Ashton Kutcher is actually. <laughs> <laughs> As always, Tracy, it is a pleasure to speak with you, the managing editor for New Black Society, always overlooking my stuff, telling me, don't post that. Or, yes, post that. I appreciate you and Nicole so much for doing what y'all do. I will talk to you soon. Again, what's what's the name of the, the program that you work for? Trauma to Trust um, out of EJUSA. It's, we're expanding, so we might be in a city near you soon. Um, yeah, and on another note, um, yeah, just look out for me. <laughs> and look, out, I, I, and look out and what's the name of your YouTube channel? Go ahead. Oh yes, okay. Shameless plug. So I do. Uh, so Brown Family Builders, and that's Ooh. Brown with an E, um, which is my my married last name. Um, and so my husband and I have a YouTube channel about. Um, you know, uh, buying the block, but buying the block, uh, not with the intention of capitalizing off the block, but just buying the block for the, the, the purposes of building a space where we could just be free. Um, ethics. That's what it's all about. Ethics. Yeah. Ethics and integrity. You know, that's what, that's what I, it's all about. That's what it's all about. All right. Well, listen, uh, this is the New Black Society podcast. Episode number eight, Tracy, I thank you so much. I will talk to you soon, probably as soon as we get off this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been real. Take care. God bless. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the New Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson. You can subscribe to this podcast on any platform podcast play. See you next time.